Andy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk STL. And welcome back to News Talk STL. This is Paul Kurtman filling in for Randy Tobler. I will be filling in for Randy for the rest of today throughout his show and also next week. And it's a real honor and privilege to be able to be in the studio here with Max and uh, filling in for Dr. Tobler. Been a fan of Dr. Tobler for several years and uh, never thought I'd actually be saying this is Paul Kurtman filling in for It's pretty cool, right? Tobler. It is yeah, cool. It's pretty, it's it really is wonderful. Cool. It is. I worked with Tobler for a long time at another frequency and uh, didn't think our paths would cross again. And it's it really is a pleasure for me every single Saturday to be reunited with him on the air and do a show, which I think is a really quality show. Yeah, he, well, he's a real quality guy. And he's got mm-hmm. a genuine interest in uh, the affairs, like global and, you know, U.S. government political mm-hmm. affairs. I've gotten to speak with him at a number of events back, you know, like 10 years ago or so. And uh, now I get to fill in for him from time to time whenever he's gone. So I'm looking forward to having him back, though, because I'm a I'm a certainly a listener. Um, and so that'll be good when he comes back. But this week and next week, I get to be behind the microphone and I'm enjoying it. Hey, let's talk a little bit about the U.S. Senate race. But before we do that. This, I was reminded about this when I looked at my own uh, story on Facebook because I, I posted this like last night. I think I was laying in bed. It was like probably 1230, which is a terrible time to be posting anything on social media. Cause <laughs> True. Because you, you might be kind of sleeping and probably people <laughs> people who follow me on social media, they're like, wait a minute. This, is, this isn't the U.S. Senate race. This isn't about anything that has to do with the stock market. What are you doing, Paul? <laughs> well, what I posted... And I don't know if you've heard about this, Max. Are you familiar with Coyote Peterson? I'm not. So Coyote Peterson is this guy on YouTube, and uh, he has this huge following. And all he mainly does, he like looks kind of like Indiana Jones, okay. goes around the country. He will get bugs uh, or snakes. Oh, right. And he lets them bite, bite him. him. Yeah. <laughs> then I Crazy. have seen this guy. Yeah. Crazy. But, I mean, he's got to be, I mean, you know what? You'd have to be making a lot of money in order to keep going. Oh, Absolutely. So just recently, just yesterday, he posted a photo of him digging through the mud up in the Pacific Northwest, mm. and uh, he is unearthing a very large primate skull in the oh. Pacific Northwest. Wow. And so he posts about this, and he says, uh, I've, we've been holding on to this for the last several weeks. These pictures might come down. He goes, I don't know if this is what you all might think it is. He goes, but I don't know of any other large primates that have ever been or could be in the Pacific Northwest. And so there's a picture on my Facebook page. If you go to the story, it shows Coyote Peterson, who's a legit. Oh, yeah. Who's a legit guy. Like, I mean, he is he's kind of like a, a Steve Irwin kind of character. Only he goes further. Steve Irwin, if he got bit, it was an accident. This guy does it on purpose. So that way scientists and doctors can kind of study, you know, the effects of venom, you know, in, in the human body and whatever. Uh, so it, maybe it's a Bigfoot. I have been waiting years for somebody to actually show us something real. And if Coyote Peterson's got something, you know, that's that's making me pay a, a little bit closer attention. You know, I, I would probably be quicker to believe someone who found something like that on accident mm-hmm. rather than someone who makes their living searching for the foot. Because I feel like the Bigfoot searchers don't want to find Bigfoot because then they're out of a job. Yeah. 
And so if, if you're Coyote Peterson and you want to find a bullet ant to uh, sting you and make a whole bunch of money on YouTube and you randomly find something, that to me seemed a little more legit. That's kind of what this looks like. It looks like he was in the Pacific Northwest, like getting ready to do one of his YouTube shows. He's got a camera crew with him, uh, like he always does whenever they go out to do these things. And then all of a sudden there's pictures of him pulling this thing up out of the mud, like his hands are all muddy and and it's obviously it's obviously a, a, a large primate skull. So... I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's going to really go anywhere, but I'm going to be paying attention because, I don't know, every now and then you hear stories like that and it just kind of just kind of pulls you in. At least it does with me. Anyway, let's move on to some other large, hairy, elusive creatures. Not all of them. <laughs> Our U.S. Senate candidates. <laughs> okay, that was terrible. But elusive might be a right word, though, because uh, one of our U.S. Senate candidates does not like very much to show up at a lot of Republican functions or debates or town hall meetings. Um, and that would, of course, be Eric Greitens. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about these different candidates, some of their strategies. A recent poll came out this week talking about who's in the lead and who is not in the lead. And, of course, uh, we'll start out. We'll start out right now with uh, Eric Greitens. Eric Greitens, the former governor, and I say elusive because he's just had a different campaign strategy. Even when he ran for U- or for Missouri governor, uh, people were real frustrated. People didn't think he was going to win because he wasn't showing up at things usual candidates would usually show up for. He wasn't showing up for debates. He wasn't showing. He wasn't showing up for different grassroots meetings or rallies. He didn't do a lot of that. I book talk shows. He doesn't show up for talk shows. Yeah, he won't. Even, <laughs> doesn't even come on for talk shows. No. <laughs> I I kind of feel like the strategy there was. Uh, listen, the grassroots are always divided, so let's go out and make our own grassroots. There's certainly enough Republicans in Missouri. You can go out and create your own following of people that are following anybody, any politician for the first time. And I feel like that that's what he did, and he obviously did it successfully because it helped to get him through that primary and then on into the governor's mansion. But now, you know, he's he left. He had to res- – well, he didn't have to, but he chose to resign uh, from the governor's office back in 2018, the summer of 2018. Uh, he's been out for a couple years out of the public eye before he got back into this race. Um, he's in the middle of a kind of a bitter divorce battle um, as he and his uh, former wife, ex-wife, they are fighting for the custody of their two kids. Just last night, I was watching a YouTube video and the ad that was running was quoting his ex-wife as she was launching accusations at him about abuse and everything else. And I was on with Austin Peterson in central Missouri, and we were discussing this yesterday on air. And he, he asked me, he goes, how do you take all this stuff? And I'll just be very clear about this. Whenever people are fighting for custody of their kids, there are accusations made that have absolutely no bearing In any truth whatsoever, this is a tactic that attorneys will use with their clients in order to make sure that their client gets the majority or full custody of their kids. It's a custody battle. And in a battle, you will take swings at each other. And so I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it that because somebody's making an accusation during a custody battle that it's true. I just don't buy it. I mean, maybe there's some evidence, maybe there's a police report, maybe there's pictures. They would have to show me that. But just an accusation during a custody battle when people are making accusations as part of their strategy to win, you just can't just you just can't accept it and believe it just because somebody said it. But anyway, that's one of the things that is certainly um, it's kind of just like 
following him around everywhere he goes, all this drama that he's been involved in. Uh, another candidate, though. Well, I'll say this about him, though. When he was the governor of Missouri, he was certainly a conservative governor. There's no doubt about that. There was, uh, I told this to Austin yesterday, there was uh, supermajority Republicans in the House and in the Senate. We all campaigned saying that we're pro-life. But with our supermajorities, we couldn't even get our own pro-life bill through the House and the Senate to the governor's desk. We couldn't do it. The Republicans couldn't do it. The Republicans that control the House and the Senate couldn't do it. So when the session adjourned in 2017, uh Governor Greitens called us back into session specifically to pass the pro-life bill that we said we were going to pass, but the legislature was unable to, unable to do it with their own leadership. So he did that. And with the swipe of his pen, he single-handedly uh, cut off a, a large swath of what is believed to believe believed to be some of the most corrupt, fraudulent, or at least wasteful tax credits in the state, the low-income housing tax credits, which had been found uh, many problems with these tax credits by both Republican and Democrat state auditors for years. And so he brought the hammer down on that and said, we're going to stop it all together until we get it fixed. So he was certainly doing things that conservative governors would do. Uh, A freeze on regulations, there's another one. Uh, He did that as soon as he became uh, the governor. But let's talk a little bit about Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt, I got to serve with him uh, when I was in the House of Representatives and he was in the state Senate. Uh, he, he has become increasingly conservative the longer he's been in office. Now, for most people that represent a part of St. Louis or St. Louis City, you you normally would not find a Republican that becomes increasingly conservative in a district that is right kind of in the middle, kind of a very purple district. Uh, but Eric Schmidt has. Eric Schmidt has been become increasingly conservative over the years, and that reflects in his voting record, which is probably why, I think it was Americans for Prosperity recently sent out a mailer and are running ads for him online. Uh, I think he's got the endorsement. I think it's Americans for Prosperity uh, that's recently endorsed him. So there's a guy right there who I believe is certainly a conservative. Vicki Hartzler, I think uh, I think Vicki Hartzler is a conservative but I don't think Vicki Hartzler votes the way that conservatives vote. So I know that that kind of sounds like, well, you can't be a conservative then. Well, you can you can be somebody like inside, okay? But you don't have the strength or the courage or the wherewithal or the fortitude to actually put, break past the politics and be that person, even if you have to be that conservative uh, congressman or woman all by yourself. So I think that she really wants to be that person, but she's not. She's just not. She votes for lots of uh, spending. A big reason that we're dealing with inflation right now has a lot to do with government financial policy, right? And she has voted and supported much of that. I do appreciate the stand that she's taken by not wanting taxpayers to uh, foot the bill for members of our armed forces that elect to have transgender reassignment surgery. And Taxpayers shouldn't have to pay for elective surgeries, okay? We shouldn't have to pay for uh, people's nose jobs or if they want to get whatever it is they get injected in their lips, you know? Taxpayers should not have to pay for stuff like that. She took a stand on that. I really appreciate that. We have a few other candidates, Billy Long, who I really, really like. Have you ever met Billy Long or heard him speak or, or maybe booked anything with him? Uh, yeah, he's been on the show, and uh, he's, he's fantastic. He is. He, I mean, this guy is exactly... Who he says he is, he. Whenever you hear him talking on the platform, who he is behind the podium talking to voters is exactly who he is when he's out in the hallway 
just looking for somebody to, you know, chat with. I mean, he's the, he's the same guy everywhere. And I don't know what's going to happen with this particular race, but don't you think that he has a, a long career ahead of him? Billy Long? As far as public service? I, I, I think he could if he wanted to. Right. Um, he's He certainly has done really well in Congress. He has lots of good votes in Congress. Now, he's an auctioneer. And so he kind of comes from that southwest Missouri, kind of kind of has that aura about him, you know, which I'm not sure how well that plays like in places like St. Louis County. Right. But I mean, the thing about Billy Long is what you see is what you get. And you don't have to worry about whether or not he's somebody else around different groups of people. And that is incredibly refreshing as far as politicians and candidates go. And then, of course, you got Dave Schatz, who's uh, right now the leader of the state Senate. He is my state senator out in Franklin County. But there is a poll that recently came out, and I want to talk uh, just a little bit about this. This is a pretty interesting poll. The top three people in the lead in this poll right now, um, this was a Trafalgar poll that just came out this week. Uh, it has Vicki Hartzler in it, 24%, Eric Greitens at 235 and Eric Schmidt at 225 And I think the margin of error on this is 3.5%. So we have all three of these candidates that are in the margin of error, Schmidt, Greitens, and Hartzler. Now, big news, just yesterday, President Trump said he is not going to endorse Vicki Hartzler. I think it's. I don't think at this point, Vicky Hartzler does not pick up any anybody from the MAGA crowd. She doesn't pick up any of those people. Those people are with whoever Trump wants them to be with. And uh, I'll actually read it right here. Here's what Donald Trump said about Vicky Hartzler. He said, "You can forget about Vicky Hartzler." <laughs> this is he's just so clear. He just comes right out and says it. You can forget about Vicky Hartzler for Senate from the great state of Missouri. She called me this morning asking for my endorsement. Much as she has on many other occasions, I was anything but I was anything but positive in that I don't think she has what it takes to take on the radical left Democrats together with their partner in the destruction of our country, the fake news media, and of course, the deceptive and foolish rhinos. I was very nice to Vicky on the call, but I will not be endorsing her for the Senate. So I think that that's actually going to hurt Vicky Harshler, the fact that Trump is coming out. And he's not just endorsing somebody else and leaving everybody else alone. He's actually taking a different approach to this. He hasn't endorsed anybody yet, but he's telling people who he's definitely not for. And so it's going to be interesting to see exactly how this impacts Vicky Hartzler's support as we approach primary day. Now, if if. Trump does come out and make an endorsement, an endorsement. I believe it'll be Eric Schmidt or Eric Greitens. It could very well be Eric Greitens. Eric Greitens has a very close relationship with Donald Trump Jr. Donald Trump Jr. has been to the state and has had events uh, with Eric Greitens. But still, Donald Trump Sr. has yet to actually come out and endorse um, Kimberly Guilfoyle, Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend. Uh, she's very involved in a lot of this. And she, it almost sounds like she's trying to speak on behalf of Donald Trump Sr. Whenever she tweets out, look, he's not for Vicki Hartzler. Eric Greitens is the guy, but that's not Donald Trump saying that. So we're all still waiting to see if Donald Trump is going to endorse. Earlier this week, Congressman Jason Smith talked about a lunch that he had with Donald Trump last month. And he says, Congressman Smith says, that Donald Trump will be making an endorsement in this race. I think it's going to come down to Eric Schmidt. 
or Eric Greitens. At this point, I doubt it will be Billy Long, although Billy Long does have a great relationship with Donald Trump. But right now, Billy Long is only polling at just less than 6%. So I just I just don't see uh, Congressman Long, Long being able to pick up the rest of the support that he needs in order to win that race uh, for the primary here in August. So still a lot that can happen in the Republican Senate primary. I doubt Vicki Lee Hartzell, if she's enjoying a lead right now, I just doubt she's going to continue to enjoy that with the statements that Donald Trump recently made about not being supportive of her. You never know, but I'm just saying Missouri is a strong Donald Trump state. And so if he is not for Vicki Hartzler, some of that support might begin to peel off. I think she's going to have a hard time picking up more support. I think at this point, people who are of the MAGA crowd, of the Donald Trump crowd, they're going to be steering towards Eric Greitens or Eric Schmidt. And both of those guys are essentially neck and neck. According to this Trafalgar poll, Greitens does have just a little bit of a lead. But, of course, they're both right in that margin of error. I think if it comes down to it, um, uh, I think if it comes down to Eric Greitens winning, I took a lot of heat. <laughs> I took a lot of heat for a Kurtman's take that I had a few weeks back in which I said at this point, um, well, in which I said, I don't care who the nominee is. I'm voting for the Republican nominee. Now, I do have a preference. I do have candidates that I like who I'd like to see win the primary nomination for U.S. Senate. But at the end of the day, I am going to vote for the Republican, even if there was a I know there's third-party candidates, and I voted for plenty of third-party candidates in my day. I voted for uh, the underdog in many of elections. But in this case, I'm not. I'm going to make sure that I cast my vote to stop the Democrats from securing more power in the U.S. Senate. And the reason is, and I'm going to reiterate what I said in that Kerman's take, they have already... They have already announced, not just signaled, they have announced their intentions of making Washington, D.C. the 51st state. That would immediately give the Democrats two more senators in the state in the U.S. Senate. The Democrat Party has also largely been okay with and refusing to be accountable for or stop at all this out-of-control education system that thinks that they can take it upon themselves to convince your children that they're transgendered and then keep it from you that they're having these counseling sessions. It has led to multiple suicide attempts because parents have been left out of the loop that teachers have been counseling their children in private and encouraging them to transition. And the Democrats seem to be okay with that. In fact, in April, President Biden told let me see. They, there was a bunch of teachers at the White House for the Teacher of the Year ceremony, and President Biden told the teachers, gave him a pep talk. He said, these are not somebody else's kids, speaking about the parents. These are not somebody else's kids. These are our kids. They're not our kids. My kids are not ours, Mr. President. My kids are mine. They're not yours, and they're not the teachers, and they're not the school boards. They don't belong to anybody else. When my kids go to school, they go to school because there's some some degree of trust that people are going to educate them and not indoctrinate them. But the Democrat Party overall seems to be okay with that. And when parents do show up, when parents do show up at the school board meetings to push back, 
the Democrat administration in D.C. thinks it's okay to say, you know what, they're domestic terrorists, let's stick the FBI on them. I am not willing to cast a vote that would let the Democrat candidate in Missouri help empower this administration in Washington, D.C. And we're going to come back here in just a couple minutes. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Senate race. We're going to talk a little bit more also about this great ruling that's just come down that's actually ruled in favor of some of our Border Patrol agents who are accused of violent racism down at the border. I'm going to play that clip. And then later on, we're going to talk to Virginia Cruda, The Daily Wire, here at 745. So this is Paul Kurtman filling in for Dr. Randy Tobler right here on News Talk STL. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Randy Tobler, Truth Warrior, Woke Destroyer, on News Talk STL. OPR investigators determined that the agents involved in the Del Rio activity were not carrying whips. The third area focused on the individual actions of the agents. Despite initial appearances, after a careful review and analysis of videos, photos, and eyewitness accounts, this included an interview with a photographer on the scene and other members of the media, OPR found no evidence Border Patrol agents involved in this incident struck any person with their reins intentionally or otherwise. There you go. That is an official statement on the findings. This was Border Patrol Commissioner Chris Magnus, who is releasing the findings of the whole investigation of these Border Patrol agents who were, who were photographed in what appeared to be possibly using whips from horses to whip people who are trying to cross the border now. We find out, and we've known all along, because the guy who actually took the photographs was one of the first people to speak out about this and say, no, 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 no. (laughs) They weren't whipping anybody. They had the reins of the horse, and they were just trying to control the horses as they were trying to control the people that were crossing the border or attempting to cross the border. There was no violence at all. That was from the photograph or from the photographer. Welcome back to the Randy Tobler Show. This is Paul Kurtman filling in for Randy. And I tell you what, we have waited months and months and months. I wish every government investigation could be this quick and be could be this decisive. So let's let's talk a little bit about this and put this in just a little bit of context here. Here it's only been it's only been uh, uh, a few months, a few months back that there was photographs taken of these border patrol agents on their horses, and President Biden helped hype this up. I tell you what, this guy, President Biden. Man, if there was if there was like a human resources department or or something like that at the White House, they would have to be giving President Biden so much training. Hey, here's things you can and can't say on camera because we don't want to be liable for slander and we don't want to get sued. But President Biden has time and time again, whether it's Kyle Rittenhouse or now whether it's these Border Patrol agents on national television, just Shooting from the lip. What he says about these Border Patrol agents, all these, this racist behavior, this violent behavior, and we can't stand for 
this guy, President Biden, I don't know if these guys can sue him because they're federal employees. I don't know how this works. But I tell you what, I just feel like there's a lawsuit in here somewhere. These guys' picture was taken. Their faces are out there. And the president is slandering them on national television for the whole world to see. And now, after this few months of investigation, after a careful review and analysis, something that President Biden just doesn't seem to be capable of doing himself, or anybody else in the White House for that matter, they ought to put that on his little note card. Seriously, they ought to put it on President Biden's note card, except it probably wouldn't mean much. After a careful review and analysis of videos, photos, and eyewitness accounts, no evidence Border Patrol agents involved in this incident struck any person with their reins intentionally or otherwise. So after all the evidence has come in, it turns out you just can't trust the way you feel about the way a picture appears. Turns out they didn't hit anybody. They had their reins. And, and here's the thing. I I I didn't I can't say that I grew up with horses. But I grew up with people that grew up with horses. And I've been on and around horses many times throughout my life. And even I, with my limited exposure to you know that people who's who make this their life even i was able to watch and see and be like oh that they're not hitting the people with these reins and they're not whips they're reins they're not hitting the people they're just trying to control their horse they're trying kind of trying to control the situation but of course you leave it to the mainstream media to take a picture and tell you how you're supposed to think about it and you know what most people do? They just think whatever the media tells them to think. Why is that? Because the media speaks from a position of authority because they're on television and you're not. It's a real problem that we have. Hey, I want to move on just a little bit because something else the media has also tried to spin a lot. Elections, an election fraud. You know, we finally got passed in Missouri uh, a really important bill. Uh, the state of Missouri is going to be a paper ballot bill. There's going to be a paper ballot state. Probably about six years ago, I introduced, I might have introduced, maybe not the first one, but I was the second person probably to introduce at least at least the second. Um, I was a, a, the, a state representative who introduced language to make sure that all of our elections were taking place on paper ballots. We have so much more election work that has to be done in our state. When I was uh, living in Florida, I lived in Florida in 2004, and I voted there. That's where I voted for uh, President Bush's second term in office when I was a college student in Florida. And when I went to vote, both my older brother and my older sister and my younger sister, who was already there before me, not because I got held back or anything, but because I was in the Marines, just want to make sure I clear that up. That's why my little sister was in college before me, but we all went to the same school. And when I went down there to vote and I said, they asked me my last name. I said, Kurtman. And they said, okay, Jill, Zach, or Ann. All my brothers and sisters were still on the voter rolls in Florida. Some of them hadn't even lived there in over 10 years. 
And in Missouri, we very much have the same problem. You could be living in Missouri and you could leave and you could be gone for two, three, four, ten election cycles and you could move back and lo and behold, you're still on the voter rolls. Back in 2014 or 15, I think it was, I, I think we had like 15 or 16 counties that actually had more people on the voter rolls than actually were living in the county. There's a lot of work that needs to be done on our elections. Well, in Wisconsin, there was a, recently a good ruling by the Supreme Court of Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Supreme Court bans the use, they upheld a law, they banned the use of most drop boxes and rules voters can only submit their own absentee ballots rather than allowing somebody else just to walk around and pick up everybody else's ballot and then go take it to a drop box. Listen, we're really concerned about things like identity theft. We're really concerned about making sure nobody has access to our ATM pin or our code just to even log into Facebook, we should certainly be just as concerned about making sure that the integrity of our electioneering process, our whole election process, is as tight as it can be. Because if our elections aren't tight, and that's going to completely wreck the confidence that the people have in the election system. In our election system, our whole process is only as secure as the people think it is. So people need to be reinforced with the idea, with the knowledge that their elections are secure. Uh, Paul, if that is your real name, uh, we have a caller Jim right now who I believe wants to make a comment on Vicki Hartzler. All right, let's do it. Jim, welcome to the Randy Tobler Show. This is Paul Carbon filling in for Randy what are your thoughts on Vicki Hartzler? What are your thoughts on the Senate race? Good morning, Paul. Hey, I, I, I'm right pretty much in line with, with you, with the way you're thinking. I'm, I'm going to vote for whoever the Republican is. I'm, I'm not a big Hartzler fan because I've been watching her votes uh, in the House. You know, I, I tell people, don't, don't listen to what they tell you in a campaign. Watch how they vote. And she's consistently voted with the with the Republican establishment. Um, she was one of the House members who voted for the, the red flag laws that they had in this NDAA that they kicked over to the Senate to get removed. Um, you know, the, the, there's no principled stand there for her. It's whatever's convenient. But in 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 my case, and I, I live in St. Louis County, and I've been telling people this is our one chance to get Sam Page out of office. And as Republicans, we ought to be considering crossing over to vote against him because this guy, in, in terms of our local politics and our local economy, is going to impact us more than any of these Republicans in this Senate primary. And I, I really think... Um, if, if you looked at the last election when he ran against Monavani. Uh, I don't know if you saw any of the election results from, from the county, but Page, there were 187,000 um, Democrat voters, uh, around 50,000 Republican voters. Page beat Monavani by 15,000, well, a little less than 16,000 votes, which is a, if it had a third of the Republicans crossed over, we wouldn't have been put through some of the misery, possibly, that we were in the last two or three years with these shutdowns. Yeah, so 
I think this is our chance to get him out of there and people ought to really consider crossing over. And I, I've been telling people that. And then whoever wins in the Senate, <laughs> you vote for him in November. You know, you can't vote for the Democrat or this goofy independent that Danforth. You know, Danforth came out the following day after after Josh Hawley stood up for Trump um, in the Senate on January 6th um, and said that his his worst political decision of his career was supporting Josh Hawley. I don't, I don't know if you remember that or not. Yep. I remember that. Jack Danforth was the guy who who brushed the Waco incident under the table for Bill Clinton. Yeah. So supporting Trump was a worse decision than doing that. Well, Jim, I, <laughs> so I, that, uh, sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt you there, but I wanna, thanks for calling in. We're going to um, move on here in just a second. got a break coming up here in a couple minutes. But I, I do want to say, though, that you make a really good point about Sam Page. You know, this might be the last opportunity for a long time people have. It seems like these... Uh, diseases kind of keep coming back. Now it's monkeypox and everything else. So we already know that we got a guy in there named Sam Page who is just ready to kick you out of your own business and completely shut off your ability to earn a living. Um, meanwhile, though, he'll continue to earn his living. We've uh, we found that out. And we are just a couple minutes away from uh, Virginia Crudo, but we do have caller Sally right before the break. All right, good to go. Sally, welcome to the Randy Tobler Show. This is Paul Kerbin filling in for Randy. How are you? Thanks. And hi, Max. And I've listened to you. Max, I've heard for years on another lifetime, another place. Oh, thanks so much, Sally. I love you guys. Um, I'm really concerned about the primary because Greitens is, you know, they keep saying he's in the lead. And it concerns me that he has too much baggage or fodder that could be used against him that we lose the seat. I really like Billy Long. But then I feel like when you look at the polls and stuff, that Billy's way too down there. And it's like, I feel like this whole primary system, the way we got it set up is I'm concerned with like, what's going to happen? Is my vote really going to count? And then it puts us into the election cycle. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of my thoughts and like to hear your comments on it because there's, and there's 18 people on the ballot. So a lot of these uninformed voters, if they go in, they're going to just pick a name that looks cute or what they like. You know, I just, whoever's going to win is going to win by not a majority. Yeah. Thanks for calling in, Sally. You bring up a good point. And this is what you're struggling with is what a lot of voters and thoughtful voters really struggle with. And that is trying to cast a vote for the person you want, but also understanding that there's a strategy here. And we've got to make sure we pack cast a vote in terms of electability also, because there's a general election coming up right after the primary. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk with Virginia Cruda from The Daily Wire. We're going to have Virginia in here to talk a little bit. I want to ask her about this Twitter deal with Elon Musk. This is Paul Kerbin filling in for Randy Tobler, and we'll be right back. And welcome back, St. Louis. This is Paul Kerbin filling in for... Dr. Tobler here on the Randy Tobler Radio Show and News Talk STL. And uh, w- one of the things that I've been looking forward to all year, I've been on the edge of my seat waiting for this to happen. It seems like a rocky road. And I understand, like I work, I work in the financial sector, okay? I manage portfolios. I follow stocks and bonds and buyouts and I'm on earnings calls and I listen to all this stuff. And so all this news about Elon Musk, is this deal going to happen? Is he going to buy Twitter? Is it going to happen? 
I want to get a little bit of insight. And so joining us right now is our good friend, Virginia Cruda from The Daily Wire. Virginia, welcome to the Dr. Tobler Radio Show. Thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning. So what can you tell us? I see that you've done some writing here at The Daily Wire. Yes. And it, and what I'm seeing is I'm seeing headlines saying that this deal's not going to go through. Elon Musk is pulling out and, and the people over at Twitter are about ready to blow up and they're going to sue him. What exactly is going on here? Okay, so I, I know if you've been following this, you know that one of the things that Musk has been asking for for weeks, pretty much even since before he, he originally inked that, that deal, he said that he needed to know what percentage of Twitter accounts were spam or bot accounts. And uh, in other words, not real, right? And... Because we've all talked about, well, you know, when the uh, Twitter officials said when when conservatives lost a bunch of followers last year, they were like, oh, oh, well, that was us just purging the bot accounts. And or we we were getting rid of spam accounts that weren't real and we are unverified accounts that weren't real, things like that. So there's always been this kind of knowledge that there were sock puppet or bot accounts that were run by computers to prop up certain, uh, certain tweets or certain people and promote certain messages. So we all knew that that was kind of a thing, but Elon Musk, who is thinking about buying the platform said, Hey, I want to know what percentage of the people on this platform are actually real people so that I know what I'm buying, which completely understandable, right? You want to know what you're getting when you pay $44 billion for something. And, uh, but he said in a letter that was issued on Friday by his attorneys to the chief legal officer of Twitter saying, Hey, we've asked you for these things. We've asked you for these things on multiple occasions. We've asked you for these things in multiple writings. And so far you haven't told us how many of these accounts are real. And if that's since since you've refused to do that, uh, we would like to withdraw our offer. And so they said, "Okay, well, we're going to we're going to back out of this deal because you're not giving us the information that we asked for. It's like saying, well, I'll offer to buy your house, but only if you get it inspected. And the person who is getting it inspected or the person selling the house has refused to get it inspected thus far. So here's a question. real-world example. Here's a question for you, Virginia. I seem to remember that when Twitter and Elon Musk put together this deal, that there was a penalty of a billion dollars if either side pulled out, right? So if Twitter pulls out, are they going to be on the hook for a billion dollars because they pulled out without providing this information that that was called for in the original deal? Um, No, actually, I believe that Elon Musk would be on the hook for the billion dollars at this point because he's the one who said he wanted out of the deal. So I I don't think it it matters. Now, he could probably sue and would have a decent case if they haven't provided him the information, provided that that's in the deal. (coughs) And and could this also be a strategy? I've heard people say, I've seen some things that this might just be part of Elon's strategy to bring the price down to what he thinks the company is actually just worth because there might be more bots than, origi- yeah. than originally disclosed. And that's that's kind of the, um, there's there's some who think that this is a ploy to drive down the cost because if you look at uh, Twitter, when he made that $44 billion offer, Twitter was valued around $54 a share. 
And as of yesterday, it was valued around $36 a share, which is a huge, huge drop. And so it's not, Twitter's not worth as much now as it was when he made that offer. And basically, Twitter refusing to provide the information he needed has given it time to kind of plummet. And he's like, well, why would I pay you what I offered you if you're not going to give me any information and your your product is slowly and steadily devaluing itself? So that that's kind of where we are. But then you have Twitter, who um, the um, board member who responded by saying, hey, you know, we're going to force this to go through at the original amount, which suggests to me that they know very well that it's not worth what. Elon Musk offered. So, and, and they're they're going to go ahead and try to push for the original amount. And, and one reason why I want so bad for Elon to do this, I think that it'll, it'll be a much the platform will have much more integrity in terms of all these different ideologies that try to come on board. One of those I want to talk to you about right now because you wrote about this also. There's this one Twitter account called Shutdown DC. You recently wrote about this. And this is a this is kind of like a militant left wing organization. I talked a little bit about that earlier in the show, as far as uh, the Ruth sent us uh, Twitter handle that group. But they're actively seeking; they're willing to pay people money to give them intelligence on where the Supreme Court justices are. So this is like a bounty that's going out on Twitter. Yep. Yeah. So what what's that about? And is Twitter going to shut that down, or or, or is, there's got to be some pushback here from social media companies that see this as just really, really reckless. You know, I haven't seen a whole lot of pushback yet. I've seen some people report it to the FBI, and uh, you know, they they've reported it to Twitter as well. Um, it's it's kind of a fine line because as long as they're not actually doing anything. Now, granted, you you and I realize they're opening the door for violence. Right. But there are a lot of people, like, for example, the uh, White House press secretary, who at the press briefing yesterday told Peter Ducey that it was just fine for people to protest outside of restaurants forcing a Supreme Court justice who was recently the target of an assassination attempt to go out the back door so that he doesn't feel threatened. You know, it, these are. This is the world that they want. Apparently, you got people like AOC suggesting and Jason Buttigieg saying that they basically deserve this. And you know, I, I said it before, and and I'll say this again. It is not a good look for an elected official or for the, you know, the husband of a cabinet official to be suggesting that, well, because the Supreme Court has ruled in a manner I don't like, it's okay for me to harass the justices. That's, that's where we are. Yeah. But, but let's, let's put the shoe on the other foot for a minute and see how many people really, really want this world. I mean, does Jason Buttigieg want people to follow him when, you know, in a few years he's dropping the twins off at preschool? You know what? That's a good point. And a lot of times these guys never even think that far ahead. Virginia, we've only got a couple seconds left here, but I want to encourage people to go to the Daily Wire and read your column. Really, really. You're an excellent writer, Virginia. So thanks for all you do over at the Daily Wire. And thanks for joining us this morning. Absolutely. Anytime. Uh, 
All right, that's Virginia Cruda from the Daily Wire. Glad she could join us today on the Randy Tobler Radio Show. This is Paul Kurtman filling in for Randy. When we come back, we'll have State Senator Bill Igel right here on News Talk STL.